Hi and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sonia Thomas. I'm Sarah Jordan. And I'm Gavin Cooper. Welcome to our first podcast. Today we're lucky enough to have Professor Emma Morris to come and talk to us about CAR T-cells. So Emma will be talking about immunotherapy, what therapy we currently use and where this is going in the future, what patients are eligible for the trial or the treatment, CAR T-cells in general, what they are and how they're genetically engineered in the labs, and nursing side effects, things that we need to be looking out for on the wards. We hope that giving a platform to consultants and clinical nurse specialists um, through something like this podcast will make it easier for people to get updates. It can always be difficult on the ward to find time to attend teaching sessions. And even when we do arrange teaching sessions, it can be hard to the consultants to find time to do it as well. So hopefully this is quite an efficient way for people to learn about something they're interested in or get an update on. Yeah, the hope is really that you can listen to this podcast um, on the way into work maybe or maybe on your lunch. Um, it's a 20-minute podcast or thereabouts and we will plan out the first couple of sessions but then we want to know from you what you want, who you want to hear from and what you're really interested in. We sent around a survey monkey recently just to get a bit of a background and basic knowledge. Is this something you're going to be interested in? And then we hope to go on from there. Yeah, I mean subjects people you want to hear from, and also specifically what you want to learn from each session so that we can kind of plan it. Uh, and also get feedback if this style of podcast and how we can distribute the, the files to you is actually what, something you want, because otherwise we won't bother. <laughs> right, so over to Emma then. So, hi Emma, thank you for coming today to talk to us. Um, today we're going to be focusing on CAR T-cells. But before we get into that, could you give us a background of immunotherapy and where you see it going in the future? That's a good question to start with. So immunotherapy or immune therapies are any treatments that use the immune system to kill leukemia or lymphoma cells. And that can be um, something broadly like having a bone marrow transplant where you're actually transferring to the patient a whole other person's immune system which is what we do with allogeneic bone marrow transplant so that's a really complicated way of delivering an immune therapy and the reason patients who have allografts or allogeneic bone marrow transplants why they have a reduced risk of their leukemia or their lymphoma coming back is because the donor immune cells continuously are produced in the bone marrow and they travel around the body and seek out any residual leukemia or lymphoma cells and can kill them. And because they're continuously made for the rest of the patient's life, it's an ongoing kind of living treatment, whereas chemotherapy just works while it's in the circulation. So... Bone marrow transplant is one of the oldest ways of delivering immune therapies. The other ways, old-fashioned, I guess, ways of delivering immune therapies are just vaccination. And using vaccination, we think of that to vaccinate people against infectious diseases. And what you do is you inject a bit of the pathogen of the bug. Usually it's been disabled or killed, so it doesn't actually cause an infection but it triggers the patient's immune response to be activated. And that's another form of immune therapy. And over the last sort of, 20 years, people have been trying to develop vaccine responses for cancers, um, but haven't really been very effective. So you can show in like a blood test or in a test tube that 
bits of tumour cells can stimulate patients' immune responses, but actually in practice, um, the immune responses aren't strong enough to make the cancer stay away and the patients would have all relapsed. So cancer vaccines haven't really been effective. And that tells us something a bit about the state of the immune system of patients who get cancer, and particularly patients who get blood cancers and lymphomas, partly because it's very closely related to the immune system and often the cancer cells are some of the immune cells. So one way to overcome that is to basically take the patient's own immune cells and do something whizzy to them and make them much more effective at killing the leukemia cells or killing the lymphoma cells. And over the last sort of 10-15 years, um, scientists and doctors have been developing ways where they can use genetic engineering to modify or change the function of immune cells to make them really effective killer cells and also to make them recognise things that they would normally sort of swim past and ignore. And one of the ways that's been really successful has been to use the T-cells we refer to as CAR T-cells. And the CAR stands for chimeric antigen receptor. Okay, And what that is, it's a, it's a receptor on the surface of the T-cell that allows it to recognise and dock onto a leukaemia cell or a lymphoma cell. And once that interaction happens, the T-cell, the CAR T-cell, gets activated because it's sort of stuck onto the cancer cell and that tr triggers a signal into the T-cell and it, and it makes the T-cell divide and as the T-cell divides it turns into two T-cells and then if they dock onto the cancer cells they turn in, each turn into two T-cells and you get this expansion of T-cells that can all recognise the same leukaemia cells or they can all recognise the same lymphoma target. So when we infuse CAR T-cells to patients on the ward, when they become activated in the patients and they start dividing, we refer to an expansion of their T-cells. So you'll hear us walking around the ward on the ward round saying, is there any evidence that the CAR T-cells have expanded? And sometimes we know because the patient looks ill and they've got temperatures, they feel sick, their blood pressure might fall a bit. And that's because of all the cytokines, the proteins that are secreted by the activated and dividing T-cells. So whilst they're killing the leukaemia or the lymphoma cells, they also give off quite a few toxic proteins that, a bit like in sepsis or infection, can cause the circulation to become a bit unstable. So going back a bit, the CAR T-cells are made in a lab by using special disabled viruses to introduce the genes. And the genes encode the protein that is the receptor on the surface. So if, you, if we go back to a basic biology lesson, all of the cells in our body have a nucleus, and inside the nucleus... There are chromosomes, and inside the chromosomes, they're made up of DNA, which is split into fragments, which are genes. And the genes are the instructions for the cell to make proteins. And all the cells of our body have lots of different proteins in them, and some of them are enzymes, some of them are structural things that help the cell form the right shape, and some of them are receptors on the surface that 
help the cell do a particular job. So to give an immune cell a new receptor that will allow it to recognise a leukaemia cell or a lymphoma cell, we can introduce the genes for that receptor and then the cell will make the protein itself, make the receptor itself. And that bit is all done in the laboratory when we're manufacturing the immune cells for the patient. And is that part quite established now? So if you can think of a receptor that you want to make, or you can think of hmm. something expressed on a cancer cell, you can make, make the new receptors? Or? So the technology is ex established, but it's really expensive. And okay. to do like a trial run to see if a new receptor works, it can cost, to do a trial in 10 or 20 patients, it can cost two or three million pounds. Mm -hmm. Although the technology to do it is now very well practiced to demonstrate that it works in a patient in the setting of the clinical trial is still very expensive. So the progress is slower than it should be because we need to get the funding from kind of research grants and charities to do that sort of why does our T cells not recognise the cancer cells as being abnormal to start with? So that's a really good question, Sonia. <laughs> no, it is. It is a really good question. So one of the one of the things our immune cells are really good at doing is recognising anything that looks really different. And from an evolutionary perspective, the reason people died over the last millions and thousands of years since humans have been on the planet has been because of infections really and it's only relatively recently that people have lived long enough to develop diseases like cancer because if 500 years ago a thousand years ago adults died in their mid-20s or they died in childbirth or children died of infection because there weren't any antibiotics and and so the immune system evolved to be really, really effective at recognising if a cell had been infected with a virus, because once a cell gets infected by a virus, it has virus proteins all over the surface of it. And the immune cells were evolved to be really good at recognising very different proteins from different species or different bugs. The problem with most cancer cells, although they behave very differently in the body to a normal cell, when you look at them on the outside, the surface of the cell, they don't often look that different. If, for example, you look at, down a microscope at a bone marrow of someone who's got acute leukaemia, there will be a lot of maybe blast cells, but some of those could be normal, healthy, early developing lymphoid cells or normal, healthy, early developing myeloid cells so they would grow if they differentiated if they grew up properly they would become a normal neutrophil or they'd become a normal eosinophil or something so they don't look that different and the surface of the cell doesn't look that different to the immune cell and one of the real challenges in tumor immunology or cancer immunotherapy is allowing the immune cells to really effectively target cells that are self, i.e. the patient's own cells, but that are abnormal. Because the other really important thing about the immune system is it's trained from the word go to ignore all your normal healthy cells in your body. 
otherwise you'd just be a bundle of autoimmune diseases. And so actually, immune cells are trained to ignore all the cells in your body that are normal, in inverted commas, and they're trained to recognize any cell that's infected. Okay? Mm -hmm. um, and the problem with cancer cells is actually they, they're sort of somewhere in between. So sometimes they overexpress proteins and they have like a thousand times as much of a particular protein in them, which is making them go through cell cycle or proliferate a lot. But actually, it, there's just a lot more of it and it's the same as in a normal cell. And the immune cell looks at it and thinks, mm, don't know if that's different enough. So one of the reasons genetic engineering of immune cells has helped is that it can allow the immune cells to, to pick out particular targets that are really, really overexpressed on cancer cells. And so CD19, which is the target that the CAR T cell, or most of the, or the two licensed CAR T cells, and a lot of the trials have been exploring the efficacy of CD19 CAR T cells. That's a protein on the surface of B cells, so acute lymphoblastic leukemia and lots of different B cell lymphomas, so diffuse large B cell lymphoma, follicular lymphoma, mantle cell lymphoma, small cell, CLL, lots of different B cell malignancies. And CD19, there's absolutely tons of it on the surface of the B cells. So it's a really good target for the T cells to try and identify. And one of the side effects of effective CD19 CAR T cells is that it gets rid of all the B cells. It gets rid of the bad ones, the cancer ones, and also the healthy ones. So patients often afterwards don't make protective antibodies and are at risk of bacterial infections. And But you can kind of make up for that by giving them immunoglobulin infusions regularly, a bit like we do for some patients with um, immune diseases who don't have functioning B cells. As with most phase one or first in human trials, the kinds of patients who are eligible are usually patients who haven't responded to previous standard therapies. So for some of the trials, the criteria are patients have to have relapsed after a transplant or they have to have had a certain number of different courses of chemotherapy and not responded to them. More recently, the two new commercially available or sort of prescribable CAR T cells, there's one made by Novartis and there's one made by um, Gilead or Kite. And one is for patients, young adults and adolescents with ALL and the other is for adults with diffuse large B cell lymphoma. And those patients have to meet certain criteria, which were actually the criteria of the patients in the big trials that they did. So when a new drug or a new therapy gets a license, they're usually only allowed to use it in the setting that they've done the clinical trial in. And can you see in the future it moving earlier and earlier in patients' treatments to sort of avoid the, the need for as much chemotherapy? Yeah, I think absolutely. So one of the things about the T-cell immunotherapies is the idea that once you, if you're taking the patient's own T-cells, that they have the ability to survive long-term in the patient and they're like a continuous treatment. They can generate what we call an immune surveillance. 
in the same way that when you know you had chicken pox as a kid some of your immune cells will have receptors that can recognize chicken pox virus and they'll stay in your body for the rest of your life and that's kind of what we're trying to do a sort of one-off treatment that works long term and if it's directed specifically against the leukemia cells then it should minimize some of the side effects i think it'll move earlier but it might be different for different diseases and I think it may not, there may be some diseases that aren't as responsive to it. So I don't think in 10 years time, all we'll be doing is giving CAR T cells. I think, you know, we're already seeing up to 30% of patients relapsing afterwards. And some of that happens because the cancer cells downregulate the expression on their surface of the target proteins. So they're quite sneaky. In a bit like in in the same sort of way that bugs can become resistant to antibiotics, cancer cells can become resistant to drugs or cell therapies that are targeting them. So if the CAR T cells can only kill a leukemia cell that's got lots of CD19 on the surface, if it sneakily decides, clearly I don't think it can decide, but if it doesn't have a brain, anyway... Uh, I'm digressing. If it down-regulates its CD19, then potentially that is not going to be killed by the CAR T-cell. So lots of the patients who are relapsing relapse with what we call antigen-negative leukaemia, so the target's gone. Is there any other implications that the ward nurses would need to know looking after patients having this type of therapy? We know you mentioned CRS and neurotoxicities, but any, is there anything else? So I think some of the things are, at the moment, for virtually all the patients, they get some kind of conditioning chemotherapy first. And the reason for that is partly to reduce their own number of pre-existing immune cells in the circulation, which means when you infuse the genetically modified immune cells or the CAR T cells, they have kind of more physical space to expand into. And the kind of growth factors and cytokines that support the healthy life of an immune cell, there's more of them available. They're not being used up by pre-existing unmodified immune cells. So patients will get the kind of side effects that you would normally get from receiving fludarabine and, and or cyclophosphamide beforehand. Some of the complications then relate to... We talked about the expansion of T-cells and the risk of cytokine release syndrome. Um, neurotoxicity is a bit more complicated. Most of the time it's beforehand patients have some form of CRS before they develop neurological signs, but it can happen on its own and it tends to happen a bit later. And it can be very variable, so from people being a bit drowsy or people being unresponsive, people having focal signs, a bit like a stroke, or people fitting. So that's been quite variable. Both CRS and neurotoxicity do respond really well to high doses of steroids and or monoclonal antibodies that target some of the cytokines, um, such as tocilizumab that reduces the amount of IL-6 in the circulation. So the treatments for those are pretty good, but it's some of the first signs are pretty subtle. So it's often 
actually the ward nurses who spend more time with the patients who notice that there's something a bit different about them. And I think we need to be more vigilant with these patients than maybe we are with some of our others. So going back, you mentioned the fact if someone has a transplant, then we'd be looking for neutrophil recovery to see yeah. whether they've been grafted. So in terms of noticing if if something's if it's working, would be for the patients to become slightly unwell. So how does that differentiate between being unwell and developing a... Or is it so that's a, difficult because... It, that's re- it's a really good question because you can get really bad CRS, which gives you a temperature, makes your blood pressure drop, makes you become a bit hypoxic. But you've also had conditioning chemotherapy and patients will be neutropenic and actually they can get neutropenic sepsis and they can get respiratory tract infections. And the signs are absolutely identical And the other thing about our patients, we all know, is that even though we send loads of blood cultures and things, we don't always get positive results. So on on a practical note, most of the time we end up treating them for both CRS and infection, unless there's something that very obviously points you towards one or the other. I think it's really hard to work that out. And at the moment, even if we want to measure their cytokines in the blood, we don't kind of have like a routine same day test that we can we can do that's all still part of the research trials could you differentiate the two between the sort of cytokines you'd see and sepsis and the type Mm. you'd see and crs possibly possibly but i think we don't have a huge uh, you know there's not quite enough evidence for that at the moment in terms of how do you know whether it's worked with the diff with the patients who've been treated on the diffuse large B-cell lymphoma studies, the ones who've gone on to do well and respond to the CAR T-cell at day 28 after the CAR T-cells, when they've had an early scan, a PET scan or a CT scan, they've been in remission. And it's the early responders who do really well. So you're looking at 28 days post-CAR T-cell infusion? Yeah. Okay. You can already predict the ones who are going to do well. Thanks very much to Emma Morris for taking the time to talk to us about CAR T-cells. We've all found it very interesting and hopefully you have too.